And if you wish for something, sometimes your wish comes through, and it had today. So please, Spencer Kelly, welcome up on stage. BBC Click, live on side. Wow, feels like I'm actually doing it live. That is quite scary. Uh, thank you, Ella. Thank you for inviting me to officially the hunkiest conference that I've ever been to. If I can have my lounge furniture back at the end of the uh, show, that would be lovely uh, too. So, um, hello everyone. Uh, for anyone who's lucky enough not to have seen my ugly mug on the TV, uh, my name is Spencer. The program I present is Click, which is the weekly technology show made for the BBC. Thanks for reminding me, which um, as of right now is still there, which is good. Uh, <laughs> contrary to some of the publicity that we've heard. Uh, contractually, that's all I'm allowed to say on the subject. Save for the fact that I'm not due back in London till five this afternoon, so uh, I might be Director General by the end of the day, who knows. We're going to do it on a, a rotational basis, it seems like a good idea. Um, so, uh, Click is a weekly program, it's half hour, it's been on every week since 2000. We're currently on episode 652, series one, uh, this weekend. Oh yeah, all right, fine. I think that's never happened before. Uh, the DVD box set is going to be awesome when it finally comes out. Um, and uh, we're actually made for BBC World, the international uh, BBC news channel. So part of our job is to look at the latest devices, gadgets, websites, cover the latest issues around the world, to look at how technology is impacting people in countries across the technology spectrum, from the richest to the poorest, from the least developed to the most advanced. Um, this year alone, I've been lucky enough to do some pretty amazing things. Sometimes we have to travel uh, in bizarre ways to get to the stories. I've been filmed in 3D by the latest dual-lens 3D cameras. I've been lobbed into the Pacific Ocean, uh, all in aid of showing off this thing, which is a robotic lifeguard. Let me tell you that it's so cold in the Pacific that uh, I needed the wetsuit. We've used the uh, popular cowboy analogy to demonstrate the standoff between the two biggest console makers, uh, Sony and Xbox, only to both be defeated by the mysterious third uh, competitor. Um, I've been turned into an alien at Industrial Light and Magic using the latest CGI and motion capture technology. Don't look too closely at the skin-tight suit. Um, we've played the most realistic air combat game I've ever played, laser tag in real planes. We visited some bizarre hotels as well that had robotic window cleaners, uh, honest, and uh, we've introduced the, uh, well, all sorts of personages to the latest touchscreen technology. And uh, the least said about that clip, <coughs> the better. But anyway, um, when you think about the latest, uh, oh no, please don't. Um, when you think about the latest advances in technology, you're often drawn to certain countries, Japan, South Korea, that kind of thing. Um, but one of the things I've found is that some of the coolest innovations, some of the most interesting things happen in the developing world because their technology and innovation is literally forged out of necessity. Stuff is hacked together because they need it and they need it now. They're not going to wait for a big technology company to address their needs. Case in point, uh, we've been to India a couple of times and this is a photo I took of uh, the meeting place in a local village about four hours outside of Delhi. Um, can anyone spot the technology in this shot? Um, so literally, there's no mobile phones, no technology, barely any electricity there. Um, but what they've done is lash an LED message board to a tree with a rope. Um, why have they done this? So the kids from this village, they'll grow up and they might want to move to Delhi. 
to get a job to earn money sent back to the family. Um, it's four hours' drive to Delhi, but they're going to hitch a ride. It's going to take them a long time to get there. They're not coming back in a hurry. So how do they get messages? How do they text their family and friends who are still in the village? What they've done is solder a SIM card into the back of this LED message board, which means the kids that move to Delhi get a mobile phone and send text messages back to the village. The government can use this to display health warnings and, and health information for the villagers too. Um, innovation forged out of necessity. My favorite part of this clip is uh, to show you how they actually do power it. Just go down to the bottom, and that's Indian health and safety writ large there. It hardly ever rains. Oh, no, it does. Um, and then you go to countries at the other end of the technology spectrum. Um, take Japan, or as I like to call it, the future. Where, I mean, in, in the East, they do tend to embrace technology in a way that we don't in the West. You know, we're quite fearful of that over here. In the East, they will attach technology to anything. Now, Japan is a very advanced nation. It's also a very healthy country. People are living longer there than anywhere else in the world. About a fifth of the population are over the age of 65. So Japan is the first country that's facing the next big challenge, in a way. How to care for the elderly uh, without filling up care homes. How to keep them mobile and enjoying life into their second century on the planet. Um, now, in the UK, we deal with this, as I say, by shoving them all in care homes and then paying it for it by selling off their houses. But in Japan, they've applied technology to the situation. If you are an elderly Japanese resident, you can stay in your home and be kept mobile because they have invented a freaking robotic suit for old people. It's genius. You're starting to see this being used around the world now. So it's a pair of legs that will support its own weight, which you can clip yourself into and sit in there. So even if you can't stand, the suit will stand for you. And then they connect little electrical sensors to the inside of your uh, legs on the skin there. And those detect the electrical muscle impulses from your brain to your legs. So if your brain tells your legs it, want, it wants them to walk, even if you're too frail to walk, this suit will detect that and walk for you. Um, the back and the arms work in the same way, which means you can actually stand and lift things that you possibly wouldn't be able to lift, you know, because, well, either you're too frail, or actually it does give you kind of superhuman strength. Um, the only thing that worries me about this is the name of the company that make this robotic suit. Um, some companies in Japan give themselves Western-sounding names, helps them do business in the rest of the world. The name that this company, who makes the robotic suit, have chosen, it's on the back of the suit, uh, it's Cyberdyne. Now, I'm not sure how many geeks we have in the room, possibly everyone, uh, but for anyone who doesn't know, Cyberdyne is the company that goes on to manufacture the Terminator, which goes back in time and tries to wipe out the human race. So, unfortunately, that's the end of everything. Um, we are going to be taken over by a race of geriatric Terminators, but it was good while it lasted. So um, I've been lucky enough to see prototypes for things that do and don't work. Part of my job is to take the guys you heard about before the break to task on whether their stuff really is as good as they say it is. One of the things that I think really illustrates to the layman how advanced technology is, is robotics. Um, this is, you'll know this, this is Honda's Asimo. He's a freaky looking thing. I don't know why he's looking behind him. He's the most freaky thing in that shot. 
Now, I think we've established that humanoid robots aren't really the way forward. You get specialist robots now that clean the floor, pick fruit, that kind of thing. But scientists and researchers are still looking to nature to uh, solve problems like robots needing to navigate uh, the real world. For example, this is a, a company called Boston Dynamics who've made this, which is called Big Dog, uh, which basically looks like they've got two dogs, sawn them in half and stuck the backs together. I mean, it's, but it is an absolutely amazing thing. Um, it's just been taken up by uh, the US Army. It's been renamed Alpha Dog. But look at the balance that it has when it negotiates really tricky terrain. This is both my favorite and my least favorite part of the clip coming out now. They stuck it on ice, and then they kicked the thing. Um, but look, I mean, <laughs> it's basically alive. Who would kick that, though, honestly? So robotics looks cool. Possibly in everyday life, we could be a few years away from that. One of the things that we've seen on Click, which really does show where we're heading, is this thing. Oh, that's the noise you've got to make. Not actually the brand. That's out of date as well, unless the aspect ratio is wrong. Because uh, it's longer now. But anyway, the smartphone, the supercomputer in your pocket, the amazing processing machine that can do all kinds of things in a time and a space that 10 years ago would have seemed impossible. Now, one of the things we did on Click recently to demonstrate just how powerful the smartphone is, is to use the camera. Anyone who's done any photography or video editing or filming will know how processor-hungry video is. So we decided to see just how powerful this thing is by making a short movie on it. Uh, we filmed everything on it, we edited, we added the special effects and the color grading all in the phone. Would you like to see the short movie? Okay, good, because there's no skip slide on this button. It's only a minute and a half or so, so this is our short smartphone movie. Yeah, I'm at Alexandra Palace now. We had a tweet saying there was something weird over here. I'm looking around, but I can't see anything at the moment. But, um... Um... I'll, uh to call you back. Android. Thought there'd be an app for that. Boom. Yeah. Oh, ta, ta. Thank you, thank you. 
It was a great day. I felt like Bruce Willis. I really did. Uh, but looking back, I've decided I've got a bit of a funny run, haven't I? So maybe stick to what I'm doing. Um, so that kind of demonstrates the power of the processing inside a smartphone when you actually leave it to render all the shots and spend time grading it. Um, these things can do pretty impressive things in real time. Two, you'll be familiar with the concept of augmented reality, which Ola mentioned uh, earlier. Um, one of the things we could be looking at very soon, this is my favorite demonstration of augmented reality, the tablet knows where it is, what it's looking at, which way it's pointing, and so it can change what you see through the screen. You're looking at the ruins of a castle, you press a button, and it brings it back to life, takes you back a thousand years. Now, one of the problems with technology that I've found is that it's kind of fighting itself a little bit. We can shrink smartphones even smaller. But the problem is they're attached to a screen and we want that to be as nice as big as possible. Um, you know, we want to be able to surf the web or watch movies on something that's huge if possible. So how do we make a small device with a really large screen? Well, there are a number of possibilities uh, that we've seen on the program. Um, in the future, you could detach the screen from the device. You can either wrap it around the device. This is OLED, organic light emitting diodes. Uh, but basically, they've now got flexible screens that you can roll up, uh, roll around the device, or just treat a little bit more carelessly, in which, unless you're my boss, in which case he loses an iPad every other week. But you can bend these things and treat them a bit more like books and magazines. It could be that in the future, um, you connect your portable device to a bigger screen wherever it may be. So your car windscreen could have all the information that you need for the journey. Um, into your web processing on it if you like, but I wouldn't recommend it. Um, and then you take your phone away at the end of the day. That's the brains. The screen is built into the car. Why not get rid of the screen and keyboard altogether? This is from Japan. These are not pens. These are your computer in the future. You carry them around in your top pockets. Uh, and when you want to do a bit of work, you stand them up, you switch them on, and there's your keyboard, and there's your screen projected onto the wall. There's a company in China called HelioVision, which have made this. This is a weird thing. It's very difficult to actually work out what's going on here. This is a floating display. Don't ask me how it works. Something about a curtain of air, manipulated mirage, project an image onto it. You can walk around this thing, and it actually does exist, and this is kind of getting very close to what you've seen in science fiction movies. So these kind of ideas solve the problem of having to have a large device because you want a big screen. You could, in the future, have a computer that's the size of your thumbnail, and the, the display and the keyboard could be as big as you want wherever you want. And this is work that spun out of uh, some guys that left Microsoft uh, in Seattle. Uh, let's go properly space age. So we've heard about Project Glass, the idea of having glasses which contain an augmented reality display. This is a contact lens that they're developing with tiny LED circuitry in the middle. How you focus on it, I don't know. But you know that's not my job, not right now. But these are the kind of things that uh, Microsoft and Google are looking at with things like Project Glass, where in the future you might be able to walk around and see information about the people that you're talking to, uh, see information about the climate, see what you're doing for the rest of the day. It's a frightening world, really, isn't it, where you're looking at someone, but you're not really looking at them. And uh, i just talk about one handbrake turn. One other thing that Ola mentioned earlier that we've covered on the program in the last uh, few months. Um, which is 
3D printing. I don't know how many people are familiar with 3D printing, but it's starting to catch on, and it can be quite frightening because you can print almost anything anywhere in the world. For those of you who don't know, 3D printing is essentially printing a 3D object layer by layer by building it up. Um, you can print using resin or powder. You can print using chocolate, which is bizarre. Um, and this sort of technology is now getting cheap enough to be available in the homes, and it could be used by designers who want to test the look and feel of their device before uh, they actually do a big run. Architects could test the look and feel of their buildings and then reprint the plan if it's not satisfactory. In the future, they're talking about printing whole buildings using 3D printing technology. Now, I filmed a, a demo of uh, how a 3D printer works. I'm just going to check I'm not going to get the guitar in the middle of this, because I know it's longer than the time I've got left. Um, thank you. Um, so this is a little demo uh, of the 3D printer that we filmed. And to demonstrate it, we decided to scan and print my head. The process starts with the scan and the scanner. Here it is. What you have are two lenses at the top, which are taking tens of photos every second. And down the bottom you have a projector which is projecting a grid onto the subject. So I'll show you what it looks like on the screen. And the grid is collecting geometric data, so 3D data about the subject that's being scanned. All that data is then fed into this piece of software which essentially stitches all of those photos together to form the 3D model of my head, which you can see on the screen here. Now at this point you have a choice of different types of 3D printer. This one here is using a kind of powder substance. If you look in there you can see the powder and you can also see what looks like an inkjet printer head. That is because that's exactly what it is. It's using a normal inkjet printer head to pump coloured glue into the powder but only where it needs to set that particular cross section. Then once that layer is done the whole bed of powder drops down, more powder is added and then just the bit for the next cross section is pumped in and set. This is the kind of thing that this powder 3D printer will produce. Now next up round here we've got something that looks a little bit more like a microwave oven um, and that's because essentially it does get very hot in there. This is a 3D printer that's using resin and you can see inside again it's building up the head layer by layer and this is the kind of thing that this printer will produce. This is um, some kind of stadium or other. Just one more thing to do and that is to introduce you to my little head. That is the result of the powder 3D printer. Hello. Not bad, is it? So, yeah, I mean, it's a really exciting time for technology, and I say, you know, embrace it. But I would say, contrary to what you might hear today um, from other people, just check the technology is actually ready and does do what it says on the tin. Um, we get a lot of uh, companies trying to promote their products through Click, you know, a worldwide TV program, and they tell us it's the best thing since sliced bread. It can do this, it can do that, it can do the other. Um, and what they mean is, after we get the investment from airing our idea on your worldwide TV program, it will be able to do all the things that we just claim, but at the moment it's not quite as good as that. Um, case in point, we went to South Korea uh, a few years ago, and I was researching the kind of thing that I'd like on the program. Uh, I came across this uh, on a South Korean website, so we contacted the company. It's a freaking four-legged walking robot on the program. Uh, and we kind of established... 
we asked the question, does this exist or is this just an artist's impression? And they said, yes, it does exist. Would you like to ride it around Seoul? I said, yes. They said, well, we'll meet you outside the largest temple in Seoul and you can ride the robot through morning prayers. I thought, well, that's a bit disrespectful, but what the hell? It's a freaking walking robot. So we'll give it a go. Um, when we turned up, it became obvious that what got lost in translation, I'm sure, is uh, when we asked, uh, does this thing actually exist? And they said, yes. What they actually meant is, um, once we featured it on your worldwide TV program and got all the investment, uh, it will look like this. In the meantime, would you mind squeezing yourself into this? <laughs> so, just beware and try before you buy. Uh, thank you very much for your time and enjoy the rest of time. Beautiful. Thank you very, very much.